Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nikrita, your host. Very happy to be with you again today. And thank you for our panel. We are almost full house today, like last uh, week we cried out a bit that we are just few. But uh, welcome back, particularly Len. Thank you for uh, coming back and I hope you really had a good time with your wife celebrating that special anniversary. And thank you, Lija, for uh, coming back also. We missed you last week. Um, so, Helen, very good to have you with thank us you. Uh, today. And Brenton is our facilitator again for today, and we really enjoyed it, uh, Brenton, last Thank week. And uh, today it's a special Bible study, I will say. It's uh, probably the, the most important Bible study for, for this uh, uh, session where we deal with uh, the book of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, because it's about our God, the forgiving God which we are um, worshipping. And we're looking forward for this um, Bible study and uh, all the input which will come uh, uh, from all of you uh, guys. Thank you so much. And um, with no further comments, I would like to just pass the microphone to Brenton and uh, make a start. Thank you, Nick. Um, I'm just going to ask us to bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to open your word and see in there the gentleness and loveliness in the way that you deal with human beings and did in the past and still doing the same now. And it's good to call on your name because we know that you are merciful, that you are kind, that you are loving. Although we recognize the day is coming when you will need to pronounce judgment on people yes. and some will be judged for eternal life and others for eternal damnation pray that as we study today that you will fill us with your spirit and that the spirit might guide those who tune into this program that we all might be brought closer to you we pray these things in and through the name of jesus our wonderful savior amen, amen. welcome listeners to our study of the word for today as Nick has said, Nehemiah 9 is uh, probably one of the focal points of this particular book. It's not often when you read something from the Bible that you can actually date it to when this event actually took place. But um, scholars have dated it to the date of October 19, 444 BC. And what's significant about this is that it was two days after the conclusion of the Feast of Tabernacles. And you remember from our study last week that um, they were told the Israelites not to mourn and weep. They were told to rejoice. Here we seem to have returned to a theme of confession, faithfulness of God, and um, it seems to be totally different. What's interesting about this is they did have a day during the year where they were asked to afflict their souls. Israel was um, asked to afflict their souls on the Day of Atonement. Now, this wasn't one of their traditional days. So what do you think is going on here? Any thoughts on, on why have we returned from a theme that we studied last week of weeping, mourning, being told that this is a day of rejoicing. They went back to their homes rejoiced for a few days and now they're back again confessing their sins. And the whole of chapter 9 is basically a long prayer, isn't it, Nick? That's right. Well, prior to being told to rejoice and that is the time of weeping, the book of the law had been read to the people where yes. they recognised their sins and their errant ways and uh, 
although there was rejoicing, the rejoicing was because of God, is forgiving God. But I guess this is really to become a recognition of the nature of God and how he dealt with people through the ages and also a recognition of the people's own uh, faults that they had. So I think this is probably why we go from weeping to rejoicing back to, if you like, facing the hard realities of what God is like and how the people had acted throughout those years. Mm. We have to remember that Ezra prepared their hearts in advance for quite a number of years. So they got into Torah, in the law of God, really thoroughly Mm -hmm. before that. And now when they read it again for quite a few times in reverence to the Lord, their hearts were touched to the core. Yes. And they realized their sins, their own sins of that generation and their father's sins and rebellion against the mm. Lord. And mm. they were weeping because they realized how gracious and compassionate God is towards yes. them yes. because they, they deserved death. Yeah. And because of that, first of all, they mourned and mm. they wept because they were confessing their sins. Mm. And after they rejoiced and praised the Lord for his gracious and compassionate uh, and pity and mercy towards them. Yes. Thank you. Helen. Mm. Yeah, I believe there was some unfinished business. Unfinished you know, business. Sometimes yes. we come and we confess something to the Lord mm-hmm. and, and we are rejoicing because mm. we, we know his presence is with us and he's forgiven us. But yeah. God works in mysterious ways. And, you know, mm. I know myself that sometimes a thought will come into my head after I have gone through all that time with him and a thought comes into my head which I believe the Holy Spirit prompts us mm-hmm. and, and it suddenly takes, I take a back step and think, yes. wow, I thought I dealt with that and so that was unfinished business. Does God gently remind us of oh, things that absolutely. slip our memory, yeah. so to speak, as Lydia yes. was saying? Absolutely. Nick and then Len? I was pondering about this, uh, the way it was back to front, you know, uh, to say that uh, they were uh, invited to go and rejoice uh, people of Israel, rather than allow them to come before the Lord in in consecration, supplication, and you know rendering their hearts to God as they did, but I was trying to make uh, an application to learn a lesson from this for our times for myself. When you meet God, the first thing after you find out how merciful He is, how um, long suffering for each one of us. It's a joy in your heart, you know, you, yes. you come before yeah. Lord because that's a yeah. joy in your heart. Then you realize that you really need to go before him and, and pray and ask for forgiveness and so on mm. and so forth. Mm. And I think the leaders, they were very, uh, let's say, wise at the time to not to allow just the feelings because they came after the Torah was read in front of them, you know, mm. they, they mm. came with that burden and that heavy burden on each one of them yes but what happened in the past as Lija mentioned with the you know the ancestors and so on and they could have lost a little bit the you know the focus 
instead of rejoicing in God who's the one merciful and kind and loving and so on, they could have just to lament about their life yeah. and have a different relationship with God and probably we'll share during the program a little bit more as we go through the scripture mm-hmm. uh, from uh, chapter 9. Yeah. We're about to read chapter 9 but Len has a thought. Len, before you mention your thought, can you just give us a brief overview of the things that you have written down? Okay, well before I share this with you You've probably heard of people who've lost a loved one and uh, they don't know what's happened to that person. And when the police or whoever it is eventually find out what happened, they have what's called, I've heard it on in the news, they have closure. Yes. And I believe that this act was an act of closure Mm -hmm. because... Uh, as we will hear at the end of this particular time, the people signed a document saying that they repented of their sins and they wanted to serve the Lord. So it seemed very much it was an act of closure. closure. Mm -hmm. Just a thought, when they assembled before, they assembled and they asked for Ezra to read it. What's the difference here? There is a big difference because Mm -hmm. this time, and Len will probably bring this out, they were assembled, this time they fasted, they dressed in burlap and they sprinkled dust on their head. A sign of mourning or a sign of humility. Mm. You know, so there was a change. Which was absent in the first. Yes, yeah, there was a change from hearing Mm. it and then it touched their hearts in the most amazing Mm. way. Mm. And the other thing that I just wanted to add is to me, it showed it's not. It's not that you come before God and, and he's shown he saved you and that's the end of it. It's not one saved, always saved. No. Well, now I'm sort of going to give an overview of the whole chapter of uh, Nehemiah that's 9. That's fine. Yeah. Okay, well, what I did, I went through the chapter and the statements about God, I've written some aspects of, the, of God's character mm-hmm. uh, and made a list. They also made statements about themselves and their forefathers and so on. I'm not going to uh, deal with that. But in verse 5, God is identified as creator. And verse 6, that God is involved in the affairs of men. And I've had personal experience where God stepped in and did something beautiful for me. And I praise him ever since. That God doesn't allow all the suffering that goes on to happen without his knowledge. He observes it. He's not happy about it. Uh, It also talks about God as a worker of miracles, Mm -hmm. of God as judge, as God as the shepherd, God as the lawgiver, God who reveals himself to man, and God is a provider. But that's not all. It also identifies God as being a compassionate person person is wrong, compassionate God, as an instructor as a sustainer mm-hmm. as a conqueror and I'd like to spend a long time on this but <laughs> not possible God is merciful God is mighty and awesome so here it's talking about God and these are some of the aspects of God that the people identified Okay. There was a specific order, wasn't there, in our study that we're uh, undertaking today. First of all, we started out with God as the creator, but in the very same verse, can someone read verse 6? Lydia, can you read chapter 9, verse 6? Len has mentioned aspects of it, but it is an important verse for us to read. 
and Nick brought up the point earlier that we should read the whole chapter. Yes, we should, Nick. If we got three or four hours, we could. <laughs> so we'll do our best. Thank you. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessings and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Okay. So here it's it's um, uh, it's showing that God is the Creator. Yes. Go beyond that, Lydia. What else is He? He's he, the sustainer. Sustainer, mm. yes. It's no good creating something if you can't keep it going. Yeah. Is that right? right. <laughs> so He's not only the Creator; He's the sustainer. You find that in Colossians one sixteen. And due to time, I'm not going to read that. Everybody's got their hands up. So, <laughs> <laughs> Helen. <laughs> Uh, it's interesting to note the verses before talk about praising God. May yes. your glorious name yes. be praised. May it be exalted. Mm. Mm. Glorious you know, says, name. Do you says, find anything interesting about glorious oh, name? <laughs> well, it encompasses an awful lot, doesn't it? Because mm-hmm. the name of God is his character. We're going to look at a couple of things in a minute mm. on that one. But, but it says, uh, stand yes. up and praise the Lord your yes. God, for he lives from everlasting to everlasting. Okay. And I think there is a key there for us in our order of prayer. I think the first thing we should always do is praise. Praise, praise, praise. Yes. Yes, Len? Well, I have a rather interesting um, take on something here. In the latter part of verse 6, it says, You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Mm. Now, I know there are a lot of people around these days who don't believe in God as creator. They don't believe that the world was created by God. It all came... Uh, according to its own, well, it doesn't have a will, it just happened, which I find is pretty haphazard sort of uh, situation. However, this verse points out that there were witnesses to God's creation, the multitudes of heaven, who worship him. Yeah, I, I think that's very significant, Len. That suggests that not only heaven, but probably all the unfallen worlds also worship him. Now, <laughs> I think maybe we we miss sometimes when we're studying the word of God that this little world of ours, which we believe is the only world that was sinned or sinned or fell, is actually an object lesson to heaven and to the whole of the universe of God's amazing love that we're talking about today and God's forgiveness. People in these other realms like heaven and other unfallen worlds are probably saying, wow, look what God has done for these people down there. They're absolutely lost, and yet he sent his son to to die for them and to restore that link that was broken between heaven and earth. Helen, you had a... I'd just like to draw attention to that word about sustaining or preserving them. Yes, yes. I'm happy for a comment on that. There is a text that says he holds the stars in place. And coming coming home um, the other day, it was a moonlit night, full moon, and I remember remarking to the people in the car, just look at that. Now you tell me, how does that stay up there? Mm. You know, mm. if we believe this world yeah. has evolved, yeah. you know, and then there were some beautiful shining stars. How come they're in their place? Yes. You know, yes. I mean, just look at the heavens. They declare the glory yes. of God. Yes. Uh, I was just going to continue what Helen was just saying. And just on that word, Helen, you mentioned about uh, preserving, because God preserves. 
And interesting that uh, if you go into the original to look for that uh, uh, word, it's about to actually to keep it alive. Yes. Mm. Uh, yeah, everything so. what happens in this world, it's alive because of God. Because God is not just a, even the Big Bang theory of, or the uh, theistic evolution when uh, mm. something just happened and God uh, then said, okay, now I have other things to do and uh, you are on your own from now on. Yeah, I no. think they call that being an absent landlord. Mm. They do. Mm. Uh, Lynn, that's true. It's not the case with God. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, I want, Thank Helen, you. could you read Exodus 9 verse 16 for us and Lynn, Exodus 34 verse 6 and 7. These are two aspects well before what we're dealing with in Nehemiah 9 where God actually talked about his name and some of the aspects that Lynn has mentioned you'll find are covered by what God actually said in these two verses. So Helen, uh, chapter 9 and verse 16, the setting in the middle of the plagues. This yes, in the middle of the plague In the of middle hail, of the plagues it? that God has yeah. poured out upon an mm. unrepentant group mm. led by Pharaoh, Egypt yes. namely. What does uh, 9 16 say? 9 16 says, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, it says, But I have spared you for a purpose to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. Okay. And my NIV says, I have raised you up. So it means God raises up his children. Special purpose. Exactly, mm -hmm. with a special purpose. Mm, thank you, Ledger. Mm. Very, very good thought. Mm. Any other thoughts on that one before we move on to Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7? I would like to apply this to ourselves. Yes. So God has a purpose with us in our days. So our life doesn't have a purpose, but it has a purpose. So we have to live, you know, going forward. With this purpose, Lydia, God is spreading God's up. word yeah. to other people. Yeah. Would it be fair to say that God has raised us up, and we're only talking of ourselves as a panel today? God has raised us up for a purpose. The purpose is to reveal His character yes. to other people. Absolutely. His character is what? His name. Mm -hmm. Len's going to share with us some aspects that He has already touched on in what He has said, but it doesn't hurt to repeat them, does it, Len? <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm going to read from Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Before I read, I just want to describe the setting. Moses had gone up into Mount Sinai to receive the law. He was to go alone. Mm -hmm. Not only did he receive the law, but the Lord revealed himself to Moses in a special way. Mm -hmm. And it says in verse 6, And he, that's the Lord, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, and here's the Lord proclaiming about himself. And his he name. says, mm. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. So there are really two key aspects of God here. That he is a gracious, compassionate, merciful, loving God. Mm -hmm. But there is another aspect, and that's that when people do wrong, God will punish them. Why? Because he hates them? No, because he wants them to come to him to recognize that he is the gracious and merciful God and their sins can be forgiven. And that's highlighted 
in what we are dealing with from Nehemiah to 9 today. It, it is, Len. It is. It's Can hit the nail right on the head. Yes, you yeah, may. About that. Isn't it interesting that when he passed by Moses, he didn't show him his power no. or his majestic acts, which he could no. have. Mm. But he didn't. Which he did with he Elijah, showed, didn't he, initially? Yeah, till we he had showed the still, him the mercy, yeah. the compassion mm. and the mm. love because mm. God is love. Yeah. Thank you for that. But there's a perfect balance there yes. between what Len read, between God's compassion mm. and mercy and God's justice. We cannot overlook that particular aspect. No. Unfortunately, many in Christendom today believe in God's mercy and God's love. All we need is love, love, mm. love. They he overlook the fact that God will not be mocked. He will not uh, be trifled with. And if people continue in their sin, he will act, and he will act decisively to put an end to it. In uh, short, I would, like to, I would <laughs> like to apply this to myself, to be compassionate towards others, to be merciful, to be gracious, to feel pity of mm -hmm. them, and to have mercy on them as a human being. Lydia, that's, that's very good. Nick, you had a comment. I was just going to pick up on what uh, Len was saying in terms of uh, why is God uh, punishing, you know, uh, his children. And a uh, very simple lesson which we learn every day, uh, particularly those people you know, who are parents, you know, have their own children. Do they punish them because they, uh, the parents uh, hate them or uh, uh, they want to... And I, I, I pick up on that point, Len, because uh, you mentioned that, you know, God wants them to recognize him, you know, and to worship him. But I will say not only that. God wants their own good. That's why he's punishing them. When a parent mm. is punishing mm. his child, is he punishing just to let them know that I am the boss in the house? Or Of course not. There are some that do that. It, unfortunately. Yes. But a parent, a true parent, will punish his child because he wants his own good. And he wants he the child... Yeah, but yes. where do you look for, for that love? You look forward. You look. You want to administrate, if you like, a, a, a punishment because you don't want them to fall into the maybe the some of the things which you know they are not going to be good. Mm. Yeah, we you know? need to touch on the history aspect of it a bit further on in yeah. our study. But thank you, everybody, for your contributions. But... Before I finish on this particular question, you all know the third commandment says very clearly that we're not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. Now, I have heard all sorts of renditions of what that is from uh, cursing and swearing, which it isn't talking about, uh, to other aspects. So I want to have a look at Leviticus 19 verse 12. Uh, Len, could you read uh, Leviticus 19 verse 12 for me, please? Because this clarifies what it means to take God's name in vain. All right, I'm reading from the New International Version. And if you want version. to give context, you can. <laughs> All right. It says, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. In other words, we should not use the statements like, By crikey, this is going to happen, or something. It's, in other words, by the influence of God adding to what I am saying that's uh, that's taking the name of the Lord in vain by crikey I'll get you that's not right God's not our vassal that we can order around can He's I tell can I tell you uh, Len or share with the listeners 
a common phrase that I hear so often that makes me nauseated. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes, so often. I think every American is born with oh, my God on their tongue. <laughs> you hear it so frequently, and it's now come into our society. That is fulfilling exactly what it says here, yep. what you've said, Len. This is exactly the case. God's name is reverent. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew, and we haven't got time to turn to it, let your yes be yes, and your no be no, and anything else he said is of the devil. Yeah. It's reverent enough that when the scribes were, were um, writing out the scriptures, I think I mentioned this yeah, the other day, I think you may have, they were yeah. writing out the scriptures, when they came to the part where it said Yahweh, and it was just the symbols, they would actually pause and kiss that word, um, in reverence to God mm. and if they ma- misspelt it they would stop it and yes, start, again. start again it was a mm. very reverent name then and it should be today yeah, thank you it I'd just like to point out at the end of that statement there God said do not provide the name of your Lord uh, the Lord your God I am the Lord in other words I am above you you don't curse and swear in my name I'm above you no, you no know, you're right do you know what intrigues me why do people say that phrase ONG why don't oh, <laughs> they're, they're I, using God no seriously no, 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 I said to somebody once why do you have to use the name of Jesus why don't you use the name of your neighbour or your husband or somebody what is it about that that people feel the need to denigrate God's name mm, that's a good point Helen I don't know that I have a direct answer oh. maybe we need to take a poll outside the yeah. <laughs> as to to what happens but can you see that god's name is holy god's name is awesome and he he says it's interesting that what you read len is i think we've missed something important there i am the lord yes who who does god call himself by in the old testament i am who shall i say sent me to egypt I am hath sent you. Jesus Who does Jesus phrase. talk about in John chapter 8 before Abraham was? I am. I am. I am. Okay, Nick. Well, just uh, <coughs> probably to bring it in simple words, why we're using those sort of expressions and words and can be an influence of the tradition we are living in, entourage, you know, and all other, other things. And this is another lesson. God wants us to have a relationship with him, a fresh relationship with him, a be born again mm-hmm. a person. Not just to, from one generation to the other generation, just uh, trust in the, what the, our ancestors or parents are telling us. You need to refresh your walk with God on a personal level because then you'll understand and you relate to God in a proper way. Otherwise, those things can be, for many people, they may think that very innocent, uh, you know, even even mentioning God, they da- may th- has you know, dangerous outcomes. That very it? dangerous mm-hmm. outcome mm-hmm. because you you are following a tradition rather mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. an experience, mm-hmm. a personal experience yeah. with God. Probably may, many other people are using God's name in vain because they don't have the knowledge that yeah, they profane God's yes. name, or yes. uh, they are neglectful and uh, careless. That's it, very it, similar. It, Thank you. Yeah. Very yeah, similar to what you, I was. It could it could be both. Yeah, similar to what I was thinking about too. I didn't know that the name of God meant his character and that he is holy when I was growing up. I know that now and it makes a difference as to how I use his name Mm -hmm. because I know it refers, as Len said before, I know it refers to his character. He's holy, he's just, he's long-suffering, he's forgiving. You know, and if you look at God in that vein, how can you use his name 
the wrong way. Mm, yes, Many times true. it happened to me that I was in a shopping center or in other, uh, in other situations and I heard people saying that and I couldn't stop. I just approached them and I, I, I excused myself and I said, why do you use this word? Why do you say this? Are you aware of God's name? I said, this is a scene to, mm. to say that. Mm. And actually the, the persons in two occasions said, oh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't know about it. And mm. I said, you mm. have to be careful and not use it this uh, anymore from now on. Thank you, thank you Lydia. Mm. Um, I'm moving on in our study. Um, is there a perfect balance between God's mercy, compassion and faithfulness and justice? I think we've answered that to a degree. Mm. Mm. Uh, the whole of chapter 9 is interesting but I do want someone to read verse 16 and verse 17. Helen, chapter 9, verse 16 and 17 because we find unfortunately an unholy echo of this in the New Testament which we will also have a look at in just a minute. Right, Nehemiah 9, 16 and 17. 17. After talking about all God's goodness to them, now we find something negative. Yes, can we do something else yes, for yes, that? Certainly. I would I don't want to skip this. You know, in the the following verse in chapter nine, verse seven, we can find another aspect of God's character. He is the promise keeper. So I would like yes. to read this. Yes. So uh, in verse seven, uh, seven and eight it says, You are the Lord. God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur for the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant with him to give his to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites and Girshishites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. Mm. So God is a promise keeper. He is. He's, he's a promise keeper, yeah. all right, and you can 100% rely on them. All right, can we have a look at verse 16 and 17, please? Yeah, I'm also going to just add to what Lydia just said. Look, Sorry, as you just read a little your text, bit. feel free yes. to expound. Yeah. At the end of that verse in the New Living Translation, it says, And you have done what you promised, for you are always true to your word. And I think that's a very good thing to yes. remember. Let yeah. me read 16 and 17 again from the New Living Translation. It says, But our ancestors were proud and stubborn, and they paid no attention to your commands. They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles that you had done for them. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry and rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them. Okay. Can, uh, thank you, Helen. Uh, Lynn. All right, well, I'm reading from the New International Version, mm-hmm. which says, and, uh, and verse 16 uh, would have the same, wouldn't you? Lydia? Yes. Uh, okay. It starts off, but they, our forefathers, mm-hmm. became arrogant and stiff-necked. Yes. Now, my wife and I were just discussing <laughs> what does stiff-necked actually mean. Mm-hmm. Well, if your neck is stiff, you don't nod to say yes, you don't look to the left or to the right, part with your eyes, of course, because your neck is stiff. It simply means they were set in their evil ways. ways. Mm-hmm. And I think this word stiff neck really has a lot of implications. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, we're going to have a look at an echo of this. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 7, and I want someone to read verse 35. And also verse 51 and verse 52. It's, uh, there is a connection here because what you see here 
is what the children of Israel are recognising happened in their past history. So verse 35, and then verse 51 and 52, you'll, you'll hear an echo of what has just been read in these verses. Can what, I just won't make one comment on what yes, was you were saying may. about being yeah. stiff-necked? The thought came back to me. It was like my stepdaughter when she was younger. She's profoundly deaf and she's a beautiful person, but she was set in her ways and very stubborn. And if I was signing to her and we were having an, an argument, she would literally turn her whole body away, stamp her feet and look the opposite direction. And I would try and get her attention, but until I got right in front of her and no, she could see my no, lips moving, nothing, you know, nothing would get through. And if yes. she didn't like it, she no. would turn again. I got to the stage I used to have to hold her with two hands on her shoulder and, <laughs> and look at her straight in the eye, and I said, now you must lip read because I cannot sign while I'm holding you. Yes. Because she was really stiff-necked, mm. you know, and that just, yes. sorry, <laughs> that just no. came to my head. I thought, mm. well, there's a classic yeah. example of being yeah. stiff-necked. Yeah. And how many of us do that to God? All right. Yeah. Uh, who's got... Uh, Acts 7 verse 35 It's talking about Moses mm. This is the same Moses who they rejected With the words Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer By God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush Okay, now Stephen is giving this lesson to who? The Sanhedrin and he's actually saying that you rejected Moses. Now, in rejecting Moses, something else happened, as you will find out in now verse 51 and verse 52. Who's, uh, who's reading that one for us? You stiff-necked people, you with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed him, obeyed it. Who? <laughs> yep. Can I just read that? First you, verse you, from you, the New you, Living Translation. You, you may. Mm. It said here, and Len's got his hand up as well. Said, <laughs> "You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you." Mm. Okay, now in chapter nine, before Len gives his uh, his comment, in chapter nine, what have we got? We've got confession, but we've also got a recitation of their constant rebellion against God all the way along the line. Len, what were you going to say? Well, that was all very well for them, but it couldn't happen to us these days, no, could no, it? not at all. <laughs> Which world do you live in? Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, I, I said that in a rhetorical manner. Yes. I think people are the same these days. People can be faced with truth and reject it, and yes. that, to me, is exactly the same as those people back then being stiff-necked, rejecting God and his truth because they believe another way. Interesting uh, that through the book of uh, Ezra and uh, Nehemiah, we learn that some people who are not part of God's family, they learn about this amazing God, and they facilitate it, if you like, all what was possible for the Jewish people to come back and reinstate that worship in Jerusalem. And I'm just wondering, as we talked about today here about the stick neck people talking about 
us Christians, here is not, not no reference to the people who didn't have an experience with God before. Here it's about those people who have an experience yeah. and he's pretending. Not he's not and talking about the heathen. Absolutely not. And that's a very important mm. point to make here because we need to really come to understand where we are in terms of our relationship with God. Are we following God in the right way or are we following God just in a routinely way, in a you know traditional way, just a form of yes. godliness? Yes. Mm. The text true. has come to my mind, but I can't quite find it in, in oh, very quickly. Which one is it? But it's in 1 Samuel. I'm pretty sure it's 1 Samuel where he talks about stubbornness as akin to witchcraft. Yes. Yes, he does use that analogy. Yeah. Mm. So that's, that's mm. something we need mm. to think about, really. Yeah. Mm. One of the things I think, uh, one of the questions that I had here is how many times did Israel rebel against God? And the answer is found in Numbers 14, 22. Ten times. Mm. Uh, God says, you rebelled against me ten times in the wilderness. All of this is being repeated in Nehemiah chapter 9. But that was Nehemiah ten times in the wilderness. Nine. Ten yeah. times mm. alone in the wilderness. Yes. We're not talking about all the other times no. after they actually yes. entered the promised land. This is during the period of the Exodus. Yeah. Uh, so that in itself is is significant. But the question I have, Sig, we're on this stiff neck business, and Lynn's explained it pretty well. What does God want us to do? Is it is it enough to just recognize that we are stiff-necked? What does God want us to do about the issue of being stiff-necked? What, did, uh, what was Stephen's sermon doing? It says they were cut to the heart. It's the exact word used in Acts chapter 2 when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. But there they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Here they take him out and stone him to death. There's a big difference between the outcome of the two appeals. Which shows us that we all have a choice. <coughs> yes. You yeah. know, and mm. um, it can be an eternal choice affect our eternity. It can yeah, indeed. As to which way we yeah. go. Yeah. Lynn, did you have a comment? I well, you did. <laughs> yes, I have many comments, but I have to keep some to myself. I find it really disappointing that many of my friends, who some of whom attend church in other churches, have the same Bible as I have, have the same access to truth as I have, and yet reject so much. It, it's a, a, a real puzzle to me. I don't know why they, when they read what's in God's word, they read the truth, they will uh, very often just wipe some of it away. Yes, we know that, but, and don't do anything about it. Uh, it seems that many of my Protestant friends are stuck only on the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus and I know that's the most important thing with regard to salvation, but the Bible doesn't stop there. Revelation fourteen twelve, talking about God's people. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. There are there are other issues that a lot of people just seem to ignore and I just don't understand why they don't accept and follow. Mm. Mm, I think if you look down through the, the ages, we have many different church denominations today, mm, a vast amount. Mm. And it, But if you look down through the ages, this is how the other churches came about. You know, like um, when you had the Baptists, 
you know, why did they break away? They broke away because they started studying. Well, they were studying and they found out about uh, baptism, baptism by immersion. immersion. And mm-hmm. you can look mm-hmm. at all the little groups along the way, all the big groups along yeah. the way. Why mm-hmm. did some of them stay in their first one? You know, the Lutheran, for yeah. example, mm-hmm. you know, because they were following Luther. Mm. Okay, and and good on them for that because Luther had a lot of good things. But you know, when some part of the Lutherans started studying deeper into the Bible, they were enlightened with other things. But the people that were eyes were on Luther said no, no, and yet it was plain what they had found. And so then there was another group broke away. And if you look down through the history of the churches, that has happened all the way along as God has given more light. There has always been a stubborn group. Yeah, and another like. group who are progressive. Yes, and, and, yeah. follow and it's the light no different today. It. It's no yes. different today. Yes. Yeah. That's why before we open his word, we need to pray for the yeah, Holy Spirit to enlighten mm. us, to instruct us, to guide us, so it's yes. not our interpretation, yes. and, and touch our hearts. Yes. And there are yeah. many that are, you know, many that I've spoken to, when they see it, they say, that makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so for some, it's almost like they've been in the dark and suddenly yes. someone's yeah. turned but the others, light on. But others don't want the lights yes. on. That's, mm. that's right. I'm going to say something now which could be a bit hard to, to chew for some people, but uh, uh, I will say it. You mentioned about Luther, Luther and the Lutherans and uh, many other reformers. And I heard about that comment that, if Luther will be alive today, I'm not sure if he will attend the Lutheran Church mm-hmm. or uh, all other reformers. You know, they, if they will be alive today, what I'm trying to say here, these people in chapter 9 of Nehemiah, yes. they're looking back in their history. They could see how God was leading their mm-hmm. parents, their an- ancestors, yes. and they are quoting that. They say, look... Uh, during the day you were with them in a, um, in, in a cloud, during the night mm. in a pillar of fire. You were with them when they crossed the Red Sea and so on and so forth. And here's one interesting thing which I would like to actually point to verse um, 14 in, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 9. And somebody can read it from different translations uh, because verse 14, it says something really interesting. I've got it. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. That's interesting that here is talking about that God was providing, you know, laws and uh, guidance yes. for his people. Mm-hmm. But about the Sabbath, which is m- the most misunderstood uh, in Christendom today, mm-hmm. it says here that you gave them your Sabbath. And most of the Christians will say that there is... Uh, the Sabbath is just for the Jews no. because it was their Sabbath. How can you read in this verse? Because it says that was God's Sabbath, mm. not the Jewish mm. Sabbath. Yeah. And you know, this is a very important thing because we'll come back to this um, yeah. uh, verse maybe later yeah. on. Uh, why it's important to follow God in everything what he has provided mm. for us, not just speaking mm. on our own and for our best interests. Yeah. It is. It is very important, Helen. Every every time Nick makes a comment, something comes into my head. I'm sorry, Nick. I, uh, my father came into my head right then. Mm. You know, in the fact that he he did Bible studies with us, and we also came to this Sabbath question, and. You know, I was reading just a little bit ahead, and it says in verse 16, but our ancestors were proud and stubborn, they paid no attention to your commands. Mm -hmm. That is exactly what my dad did. Mm, You know, he turned Mm. his back at that point. Praise God, he gave his Mm. heart fully to the Mm. Lord before he died. But at that point, he said, no. 
Mm. And he kept keeping the Sunday. And he tried to keep it like we kept the Sabbath. And, of course, it didn't work for very long. And he was attacking. But it was like he was proud and he was a very stubborn man. And I thought, that kind of like us today, isn't it? Mm. Sometimes we're in this boat. And here were these people acknowledging those wonderful miracles, but then saying, but we as a nation... We were stubborn and proud. Yeah. Even so. Well, I want to jump ahead here into Nehemiah chapter 10, mm-hmm. where the people signed a pact. They did, which we find at the end of chapter 9, don't we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in verse 31, they, I won't read the verses, 31 and 32, the people um, committed themselves to live differently than what their forefathers had. Mm. And in this document that they signed by many, many people, they said, we promise not, and I'll uh, paraphrase Mm. this, we promise not to profane the Sabbath. Yes, that's a good point. What we haven't got time for today, and I wanted to spend time in it because it's amongst the questions that we had, was Nehemiah 13, 7, 15 and 23 because as you study the book of Nehemiah we will get to chapter 13 in a later study but if you have a look at uh, verse 7 and verse 15 and verse 23 of Nehemiah you'll find that they fell back into their old ways after making this particular thing Lydia, can you read verse 7 for us please Nehemiah 13, 7, Helen verse 15, Len verse 23 and you'll find that... (laughs) You shake your head when you read these verses. Okay, here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. Okay, that'll do for now. Who was Tobiah? One of Israel's most bitter enemies. You remember Sanballat, mm. Tobiah and yeah. Geshem. Mm. We only mentioned it in a study about two or three weeks yeah. ago. Mm. So where is he now? He's living in the temple, living in the temple precincts. Um, what's happened here is Nehemiah has been away. He's gone back to the king, and now he's gone back again. And while, the, while he's away, <laughs> to quote a, a saying, while the cat's away, hmm, the, the mice play. are playing. And this is what's happened. What about the next verse? Just before you get into that, mm. it's important that it goes on further. And it says, I became very upset and threw all of Tobias' belongings out of the room. <laughs> Yeah, I could almost imagine like Jesus turned over the tables, yeah. you know, similar thing. They terminated his tendency yes. rather forcibly. Mm. Very, very so. Yes. Verse 15 mm. says, In those days I saw men of Judah treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys, bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. Okay, this goes back to what Nick was saying. Yes earlier on about the Sabbath. What about the next verse? Any comment on that before well, we yes, move on? Well, yes, before I read the next <coughs> verse, sure, I do sure. have a comment. It seems very much to me that the Sabbath is a pivotal point in determining how committed anybody is to the Lord. That's a good now, point, I'm, I'm, not, mm. I'm not trying to put down people who do not keep the Sabbath, but it seems that this is the big dividing point with those who have... I'll use the term rather loosely. A Would you call it a decision point? A decision people? point, yes. Mm-hmm. It seems to divide those who are really committed to the Lord and those who are partly committed to the Lord. 
But it's not the only issue, and I want to make another comment straight after I read this verse. Sure. 23, Nehemiah 13, 23. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. In other words, one of the things that God had instructed the people, don't become uh, interracially married. Mm-hmm. Now, I ask myself, how come? Did these people have such short memories? Did they sign this document and as soon as Nehemiah had gone back to Susa, did they forget everything? Or was it a generational difference? And I see this happening very often. You'll have a generation of people who are totally committed to the Lord. And then the next generation, it seems that they don't have that same commitment. Mm. I've seen it happen in my own family history. And uh, this is possibly one of the reasons why the people um, backslid. Backslid. That's a good point. Um, Maybe as time goes on and the generations unfold, people begin to suffer what I call spiritual amnesia. Mm. Um, I'd like to read something here. We're looking at, is God faithful to his promises? Verse 23 and verse 25 of chapter 9. Then I'll read this comment. Helen, could you read uh, chapter 9 of Nehemiah, verse 23 and 25? I just, we've, we've looked at the negatives. We've spent a fair bit of time on the negatives. And that is important because if you don't learn from the negatives, you'll just continue to repeat those mistakes. We know that. Lord Acton said that if you don't learn the lessons of history, you're destined to what? Repeat the mistakes of history. And unfortunately, what we've just read in Nehemiah 13 suggests that the mistakes of history hadn't been learned as thoroughly as they should have. What does chapter 9, verse 23 and 25 say about God's faithfulness, though? Okay, well, verse 23 says, You made their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and brought them into the land you had promised to their ancestors. Verse 25, Our ancestors captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took over houses full of good things with cisterns already dug and vineyards and olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate until they were full and grew fat and enjoyed themselves in all your blessings. I think it's important to notice that it's you know, God doesn't put a limit on to how many times that we we can come to him to obtain mercy. But he does um, insist that we come. Yes, yes, he and does. That's the key he to does. it. Yeah. Uh, there's a comment that I felt was relevant that I'd like to read. The people might have delighted themselves in your yes. great goodness, but theirs was a delight in all in all they had instead of their delight in God. Apparently having everything doesn't produce a close walk with God. Now, that goes completely contrary to the wealth and health gospel that we get uh, so frequently in Christianity today. Unfortunately, we see that the Israelites had everything from God, and yet their happiness, in inverted commas, in those things only made them less devoted to God. It's too easy for us to focus on the gifts while forgetting about the giver. This is a fatal deception. Yes, hands going up everywhere. Lem. I think um, we have an example of this after the Twin Towers in New York collapsed. It seemed that straight afterwards the churches were full. Yes, for a period. And then (laughs) life kind of got back to normal and the churches are almost empty. Yeah, thank you, Lydia. Did you have a comment? In spite of their 
um, rebellion against God. So for so many repeated times, God never deserted them. And he kept his promises to Israel. We have so many verses in the Bible that is showing that. And I would like to read verse 19 and uh, 20 in chapter 9. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. By day, the pillar of the cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For forty years you sustained them in the desert. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. So it means that God gave them everything. Mm -hmm. They handed them lands and cities and vineyards mm -hmm. and fields ready to yes. use. But, but it uh, didn't they, call forth any Exactly. They all it? taken it for mm -hmm. granted. Also, I like the first verse. It said God gave them the Holy Spirit first of all. So they didn't mm. lack food, water, kingdoms, yes. land, victory in war also, systems of fresh waters and vineyards, olive groves and fruit trees. Yet the people delighted themselves mm. only in the things that God gave yes. them instead of in God himself. Yeah. So I would like this to apply to ourselves. Mm. True. We have to count our blessings. We have to see what God gives us to make us happy and delight in God, not yeah. in things yeah. that we receive com from God. Thank you. Um, just Thank a you, very, and Just a very quick comment. Mm -hmm. As we have just heard, that these people who were so uh, solemnly disturbed by their past mistakes and who solemnly committed themselves to change their ways fell back. Yes. And it reminds me of this statement that the road to destruction is paved with good with intentions. Good intentions. Yes. Thank and you, this Helen. was their experience, mm. but I hope it's not ours. Yeah. Helen, quickly. I, I just have a question to bring it back to ourselves. Do our blessings that make us thankful to God and draw us closer to God, yes. or do they make us feel self-sufficient mm. and forget God? That's a good point. What we didn't have time to really share because our time is running away with us quickly is part of chapter 9 deals with the way the prophets were treated, mm. those who God sent to them. Now that in itself is virtually a study, but it's interesting that Christ referred to it in Matthew chapter 23 and um, also um, we've just touched on Stephen's sermon where he said, which of the prophets didn't you kill or persecute? Now the prophets were all in the Old Testament there is a very, very uh, powerful warning for us today in 2019 in modern Christendom. Many Christians today believe the Old Testament is no longer binding. There is no longer any relevance. We're under grace. We're not under law anymore. Now, we run the risk by rejecting the Old Testament. We run the risk of repeating exactly the same mistakes that Israel made. We do away with the law and the prophets and therefore we do away with the testimony of the Old Testament to who the Messiah is. No good believing in a Messiah in just the New Testament when the Messiah is clearly revealed in the Old Testament in mm. so many different ways. Good it's point. doing away with that text mm. that says all scripture is inspired by yeah. God. All. Yeah. 
I had some historical reference, but Nick, I realise how many, how long have we got? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> we have a minute or two, a minute or, a minute or two to finish up. Mm. But uh, just before you conclude, yeah, sure. um, uh, Brandon, <clears throat> I just thought to come back in in very few words in regard to that condition uh, where they all agree to sign a, yes. a covenant, a covenant mm. with God, and. I could not help but just think back. I could not find many times in the Bible where that decision was made that they will sign. There were few decisions before, mm -hmm. and if mm -hmm. I'll mention just King Josiah, he also attempted to have a covenant uh, with God, but was not to sign it. And there was uh, also e Ezekiel, I think. But in this time, brought to my attention that God himself signed an agreement with his children on Mount Sinai. He gave them the law and, you know, written down with his own finger, the Ten Commandments, you know, which was, uh, you know, something there, written in stone, as uh, some people say. And what did the people say? All that the Lord says, we will do. We will do. Mm. Yes. Mm. Now, even though, as we read in, in the next chapters, particularly chapter 13, that they rebelled again, but it's important not to disconsider yes. those things mm. where the people of God come before him and make a covenant with God. Mm. And let's do that today mm. uh, with our own life, privately, sure. but also corporately. Mm. You know, in our churches, let's stand up and mm. do something, not just live the life as it comes. Yeah. Make sure it's not just lip yeah. service. Though. Of course. It has yeah. to come from the heart. In closing, my appeal to our listeners is this, and I'm going to read from Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. It says, Behold, now is the accepted day or time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I plead with our listeners, do not disregard the Old Testament. Do not disregard the the um, uh, the fundamental building blocks, if you were, that God set in place, because all of those apply equally in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. God is calling us today to follow Him and to be faithful to Him. Will we make the same mistakes that Israel made? I pray by God's grace we won't. And if we have made those mistakes, let's repent mm -hmm. and ask Him to forgive us. And because today is the day of salvation. Amen. Amen. I know we're out of time, but I'd like to say <laughs> right. this. For those right. people who disregard the Old Testament, you have to also disregard Jesus. Yes. Because Jesus believed in and quoted from the Old Testament. Mm. Mm. Yes, so true. Thank you very much uh, for all this uh, uh, passionate uh, discussion. Uh, before we finishing uh, today, um, I believe it will be very appropriate to have a word of prayer to pray that uh, uh, God will uh, uh, help us to come before the Lord and render our hearts before him because he's a forgiving God. Brenton, would you mm -hmm. close with prayer, please? Our wonderful Father in heaven, thank you for your word, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be your followers. Have we sinned like ancient Israel did or like the returning exiles did? If we have, Lord, forgive us. Amen. Please forgive us. Amen. And may your Holy Spirit illuminate the darkest areas of our minds mm. that we may be fully yours and yours alone. Amen. I pray for our listeners, Lord, that even now, as they are listening to this broadcast, I pray that they will be saying, Lord, I am yours and yours alone. 
give me the courage, the spiritual courage to follow you when I hear the truth of the word about your Sabbath and about the things that you want me to do. May I have the spiritual courage to say, here am I, Lord, send me. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do. Thank you for hearing us today. We ask a blessing upon not only our panel, but all our listeners. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.